Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. It's a hard thing to live in the shadow of a brother, especially if he is a younger brother. Arthur MacArthur III, older brother of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur, was a United States Naval officer for 31 years. He was awarded the Navy Cross, the Navy's second highest award next to the Medal of Honor, and the Distinguished Service Medal for service in World War I. He was a man of his own making, and during his life he never lived in the shadow of his now famous younger brother. He died prematurely, however, in the prime of his life, and in the middle of a promising naval career. In the annals of history, therefore, he will forever be known as the brother of Douglas MacArthur, or the forgotten MacArthur. Arthur MacArthur III served in the United States Navy during its growth from a regional to an international force. The turn of the century Navy was in a paradigm of invention and revolution. It was the age of Alfred Thayer Mahan and his theories of commerce and its relationship to sea power. It was the age of Roosevelt's big stick diplomacy, and the United States Navy was that stick. A.H. Harvey's nickel-steel alloy and armor plating with steel were becoming the technology of the future in shipbuilding. Holland's submarine boats came out in 1900. The dreadnoughts of 1906 introduced battleships that grew from 12,000 to 30,000 tons, increased their speeds from 16 to 25 knots, and increased gunnery ranges from 16 to 20,000 yards. Advances with radio and gyro compasses made for more cohesive fleet maneuvers. Like all ages, it was an exciting time, and during his career, Arthur MacArthur served with distinction, from the Caribbean waters around Cuba to the Pacific currents off Japan and China, and finally the icy waters of the North Atlantic. Arthur III was the eldest son of Arthur Jr. and Mary Pinckney Hardy MacArthur. His father, the Union Army's boy colonel of the Civil War, was a man of limitless courage and intellect. His mother was from a Virginia family, well-educated and aware of the world around her. The father instilled in his sons his beliefs of duty, honor, and country, and the mother forever filled their ears with encouragement to be like their father, be like George Washington, and be like General Lee. Always in their ears, do what is right, do what is right for your country, never lie and never tattle. Arthur MacArthur III was born June 1, 1876. His birthday was celebrated the day before his father's, or was it? Arthur and Douglas MacArthur both said later in life that Arthur was actually born on August 1st, a topic that will be addressed later. Captain Arthur MacArthur Jr. was on detached duty from the 13th Infantry in Washington, D.C. during the time of Arthur's birth. Being so close to home, Pinky decided to have her firstborn at her home in Norfolk, Virginia. Arthur III was born at the Hardy Home, River Edge, a great sprawling estate on the banks of Norfolk's Elizabeth River. His youngest brother, Malcolm, was born in Newport, Rhode Island in 1878, but died an early death, and is buried in Norfolk's Cedar Grove Cemetery with the rest of the Hardy clan. Youngest brother, Douglas, was born in 1880 in Little Rock, Arkansas. Arthur III's early life was spent on the frontier in the outpost forts of the Old West, in 1879, an epidemic drove his father's regiment, the 13th Infantry, out of New Orleans to Little Rock, Arkansas. 
Captain MacArthur's post there didn't last long, and in the summer of 1880, the family left for a life that not many would experience. After a week-long train trip, the family took a covered wagon to Fort Wingate, New Mexico. For the next six years, the MacArthur's would live the lonely life of outpost duty, first at Fort Wingate, and then from 1882 to 1886 at Fort Selden, New Mexico. Bearable to Captain MacArthur and Pinky, to the boys it was a magical time of riding, shooting, and outdoor life. Schooling wasn't neglected. Pinky made sure the boys were up to date in their studies. Their father was a bibliophile and had a vast library. When the MacArthur's moved to civilization at Fort Leavenworth in 1886, the boys fit right into their classes with no problem, and somewhat ahead of their contemporaries. In 1889, Arthur III's grandfather, Judge Arthur MacArthur, was able to pull some strings and have his son, Captain MacArthur, assigned to Washington, D.C., in the Army's Adjutant General's office. It was the end of a long career of going unnoticed. Here, the boy colonel's star would begin to rise. In Washington, young Arthur III came under the wing of his grandfather, a very energetic man who had a lust for life. The grandfather was always quick with a joke, a story, or a smile very much unlike his very serious son and grandson, Douglas. Those who knew Arthur III as a young man described him to be like his grandfather and not so much like his father. It was Judge MacArthur who got his grandson an appointment to the U.S. Naval Academy on 6 April 1892. The question is, was Arthur III 15 or 16? On his entrance forms, he wrote his birthday as being June 1st, which would make him 16 when he entered the Academy. However, later in life he would write August 1st as his birthday, and Douglas MacArthur would also say that his brother's birthday was August 1st. If this was true, then he would only have been 15 and 10 months when he entered Annapolis. Did the MacArthur's lie about Arthur's birthday to get him into the Naval Academy? In 1892, the Naval Academy was 47 years old. It was pretty much the same institution as it was when it opened. Revolutions in science and industry, however, were forcing the institution to undergo a major change in focus. Wood was no longer a practical medium for shipbuilding, as Japan's destruction of China's wooden fleet in the Sino-Japanese War demonstrated. Armor plating was the future. Torpedoes, submarines, compartmentalized hulls. It was a new era. Arthur arrived at the academy as new directions in academy education. The ideas of superintendents Francis Ramsey and William Sampson were being implemented. Arthur arrived in Annapolis not even know how to swim. He adapted to hazing and life at the academy, and his freshman cruise was aboard the USS Monongahela. Hopefully it was nothing like classmate Thomas Hart described. Hart made his cruise on the USS Constellation, the oldest ship in the fleet at the time. He said it far surpassed anything as the worst experience of his life and that is coming from a man who saw his entire submarine base at Cavite, Philippines, flattened by Japanese aircraft at the outset of World War II. Arthur was a fair student. His nickname was Mac, and he was definitely not his brother. Whereas Douglas MacArthur earned relatively few demerits at West Point, Arthur was tallying them up at Annapolis. In his junior year, he had 88 of them, ranging from late formation, smoking, to talking during study hours, and carelessness in the line of duty. He was a contemporary of future five-star Admiral William Leahy, future Secretary of the Navy Dudley Knox, and future Asiatic Fleet Commander Tommy Hart. He was a good runner and held the record in the 880-yard dash for a few semesters. On 5 June 1896, Arthur MacArthur III graduated 15th of 26 line officers. The class was split between line and engineers. Twelve were in the engineer class. 
Only 38 of the 77 who had begun with the class in 1892 made it all the way to the end. At the end of the 19th century, a Naval Academy graduate did not receive a commission after his four-year course of study. A further two years in the service as a sea cadet were necessary. After two years, you would have to be re-examined, and if you passed, you could get a slot as a line, engineer, or marine officer. Once the quota of officers was filled, that was it. If you didn't get a slot, then you got your diploma and a handshake, and that was it. Arthur served on the unarmored protected cruisers Philadelphia and Baltimore during his time as a sea cadet. Then in April 1898, just a month before he was to be re-examined for his commission, the United States embarked upon the liberation of Cuba from Spain. Arthur passed his examination on 6 May and was commissioned as an ensign in the U.S. Navy. He was immediately transferred to the USS Vixen, a private yacht that was bought by the U.S. Navy as a patrol and dispatch vessel. Ensign MacArthur became the watch and engineer officer aboard Lieutenant Alexander Sharp's USS Vixen, serving with Admiral William Sampson's North Atlantic Fleet and Admiral Winfield S. Schley's Flying Squadron during the blockade and subsequent engagement with Admiral Pascual Cervera's Spanish fleet off Santiago, Cuba in July 1898. MacArthur's contemporary, Thomas Hart, also served on the Vixen and remarked that future President Theodore Roosevelt would often use the ship as his conveyance for shipboard conferences. He liked the Vixen because it had a shower, and he was known to perspire freely. When Cervera's fleet made the breakout on July 3rd, the Vixen was near the entrance of Santiago Harbor and got caught in the crossfire between the Spanish and U.S. fleets. His father, Brigadier General Arthur MacArthur Jr., remarked while en route for the campaigns in the Philippines, the military record of the MacArthurs is being maintained. After service in Cuban waters, Ensign MacArthur was sent to Asia and made a very important contact. Serving on the gunboat the USS Yorktown, Arthur saw duty around the Philippine archipelago, where his father was the military governor. The Yorktown then supported an Allied effort to relieve the foreign contingent in Peking during the Boxer Rebellion. Here, Arthur met his future father-in-law, Captain Bowman McCalla, USN. McCalla was the stuff of legend. He led the capture of Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, by U.S. Marines during the Spanish-American War. Then, during the Boxer Rebellion, it was McCalla that led the naval contingent that spearheaded the Allied drive from Tianjin to Peking to relieve the besieged foreign contingent there. He and 25 of his Marines were wounded before the gates of Peking. Arthur MacArthur III spent the years 1901 to 1904 as one of the U.S. Navy's first submarine captains. Promoted to lieutenant junior grade in 1901, Arthur was assigned to the torpedo station at Newport, Rhode Island for instruction in torpedoes and electricity. John P. Holland's underwater boats were gaining the interest of the U.S. Navy. Holland had been working with one-man crafts, creating bulky steam power designs since 1875. The gas engine, however, made the idea practical. In 1893, Holland got a contract and worked on his plunger class of boats. In 1900, he designed his boat number eight, which became the first U.S. Navy submarine, USS Holland. Arthur commanded the USS Holland until 1902. That same year, Union Ironworks produced the USS Grampus. It was the U.S. Navy's newest submarine, and Arthur MacArthur was at the helm. In just ten years since his graduation, Arthur MacArthur had served on wind, steam, coal, and gas-powered vessels. While at Newport, Lieutenant Junior Grade MacArthur married Mary Hendry McCalla, daughter of now Rear Admiral Bowman McCalla. The early years of his family life were the happiest for Arthur MacArthur. 
After service in Newport, he was assigned to Mare's Island, San Francisco, in 1903, serving as aide to his father-in-law. As well, his father, Lieutenant General Arthur MacArthur, was also stationed in San Francisco at the Presidio. Family gatherings were full of talk of military exploits, politics, and the future of the country. Arthur III's first son, Arthur IV, was born in June 1904. Three other sons and a daughter followed. Bowman in 1907, Douglas II in 1909, Mary Elizabeth in 1913, and Malcolm in 1914. After 1904, Arthur III began years of service with larger and newer vessels in the fleet. He served as navigator on the battleships Ohio and Louisiana. In 1906, he returned to Annapolis as an aide to the superintendent of the U.S. Naval Academy and became friends with Lieutenant Ernest King, who later became the chief of naval operations in World War II. Following his Naval Academy stint, in 1908, Arthur was introduced to the new oil-burning class of ships, being given command of the new oil-burning destroyer USS McCall in 1911. In 1912, Arthur was off to Naval War College. Established by Alfred Thayer Mahan in 1884, it taught theories of sea power and strategies concerning commerce and the need for fleets to keep the sea lanes open, which in turn necessitated coaling and refueling stations around the world. Judging from the wide array of posts and then the Naval War College in 1912, it would seem that Arthur was being groomed for higher command. 1912, however, was also a time of great sadness as the MacArthur's lost their firstborn, Arthur IV to an undetermined fever. Then, in September, Arthur's father died while addressing his old Civil War regiment in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. War in Europe commenced in August 1914, and the United States remained neutral, which was a blessing for its Navy, completely unprepared for war. Now Lieutenant Commander MacArthur was working in the War Navy Building in Washington, D.C. when the First World War began. The desk job did not last for long, though as by 1915 he was executive officer on the battleship Nebraska and then given command of the mine layer USS San Francisco. By 1916, Arthur was commissioned a commander before most of his academy classmates. Though given command of the armored cruiser USS South Dakota, he couldn't take his position on account of a previous incident. Commander MacArthur stood for court-martial for an incident that happened while on duty with the San Francisco. He was charged with three counts, thorough negligence suffering a vessel of the Navy to be stranded, culpable negligence and inefficiency in the performance of his duty, improperly hazarding the vessel under his command in consequence of which he was run upon a shoal and seriously injured. Arthur was found guilty of the second charge, but acquitted of the first and the third. He was placed at the bottom of the list for promotion and had to remain there until ten others were advanced ahead of him. Despite his conviction, he still took command of the South Dakota until March of 1917, one month before the American entrance into the First World War. After the U.S. declaration of war against Germany and the Central Powers, U.S. Admiral Sims and British Admiral Jellicoe met to thresh out strategy. Germany's campaign of unrestricted submarine warfare had Great Britain on its knees, down to only a few weeks left of grain. The U.S. Navy was completely unprepared, with only 33% of its ships fit for duty and only 10% fully manned. In the first six months of the war, the problem was getting enough men to outfit the ships. The U.S. was also going to need an education on the convoy system, using tight formations of merchant ships shepherded by destroyers to thwart German submarines became the savior of Britain and the Allied cause. A month after the declaration, Arthur MacArthur took command of the USS Chattanooga at Mare's Island. It was a third-class cruiser. 
It was the lead ship in its class of light cruisers, and six were in the class. Launched in 1903 at 3,500 tons, 308 feet in length, and 44 feet in breadth, it held six Babcock and Wilcox steam engines, and it carried eight five-inch and six six-pounders for firepower. Before taking its place in Atlantic convoy duty, the Chattanooga enforced the Monroe Doctrine. She cruised through the Panama Canal to Salvador to investigate claims of Mexican insurgents there. Then the ship went on to Key West and Jamaica to assess sugar stocks for the war effort. In June, the ship dropped off two companies of Marines at Haiti. The Haitian Assembly was about to vote on a constitution with clauses that violated U.S. treaty rights, so the Marines were sent in for stability. Leaving the Caribbean, Chattanooga was assigned to the 2nd Cruiser Squadron, Atlantic Fleet, and went to Hampton Roads, earmarked as a slow convoy escort. There were two kinds of convoys, fast and slow, with speeds depending on the slowest ship in the convoy. American ships in a slow convoy cruised for 15 days and then passed it off to British ships for the remainder of the passage across the Atlantic. Regular sea duty was a dangerous business, and the convoy system made it even more so. Even before its first convoy, the Chattanooga rescued 140 men from the accidentally rammed ship Panama. After three successful convoys, the ship had a collision with loose barges in January 1918. In her fourth convoy, Chattanooga got fouled in a buoy line while maneuvering through the fog. Each time, the ship was left alone as the convoy continued on to England. Then it would limp back to port, thankful it had not become one of the 79 ships sunk by German U-boats after February 1917. In February 1918, Arthur MacArthur was promoted to captain. Evidently, the court-martial of 1916 didn't weigh too heavily on his career. But then again, during the early days of limited and untrustworthy charts, a lot of Navy men ran ships aground. Fleet Admiral Chester Nimitz had a similar experience in his early career, and Americans be can be very happy he wasn't booted out of the Navy. When Captain MacArthur turned over the Chattanooga to its new commander in September 1918, he had conducted nine convoys and aborn, awarded the Navy Cross and the Distinguished Service Medal. After a long time at sea, the captain earned time on land, once again back with his wife and very young family. He became the executive officer for the Philadelphia Naval District, but it was only a rest stop. Though promoted in 1918, he finally received his commission as a captain in June 1921 and took over as commanding officer of the attack transport USS Henderson. Captain MacArthur's first assignment with the Henderson was the conveyance of the senators, congressmen, generals, and admirals that witnessed the Billy Mitchell bombing test off the Virginia Capes in June 1921. Secretary of the Navy John Weeks, General John J. Pershing, and hundreds of reporters were under his care as Mitchell, a childhood friend from the Milwaukee area, proved his theories of air power's dominance over sea power. Captain MacArthur had command of the Henderson for two years until early 1923. Captain MacArthur was visiting the Paris Island Training Center in South Carolina when he fell ill in May 1923, but he recovered. Assigned to Washington, he again fell ill and checked into a hospital on 18 November 1923. He died on 2 December due to complications from appendicitis. Douglas MacArthur said, I love my brother dearly, and his premature death left a gap in my life which has never been filled. Arthur died on the operating table, and it may be the reason why General of the Army Douglas MacArthur never saw a doctor until the mid-1950s. With his death, Arthur MacArthur left a wife and four children. 
Mary McCallow was widowed for the rest of her life and was a mainstay at the soldier and sailor service homes and centers in the Washington area. She died in 1959. Malcolm died suddenly at the Naval Academy in 1932. His uncle, General MacArthur, was the Army Chief of Staff at the time, and many at Annapolis felt the weight of his inquiries into the reasons why. Douglas II was the United States Ambassador to Japan, Iran, Belgium, and Austria, and died in 1997. Bowman died in 1998. Mary died just last year in her late 90s. Like his famous father and brother, Arthur MacArthur was a man of his own making, and one can only wonder, had his life not been cut so short, could there have been two MacArthurs of prominence serving during World War II? Thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov. Oh.